1: Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 184 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We are going to be NCAA free for the first time in I don't know how long. We're going to talk about the USC Trojans' first game against Minnesota. We've got some recruiting talk to get to as well. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to answer them for you on the show. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. We'll play your voicemail on the air. Please try to keep it to 30 or 40 seconds or so so it doesn't get too long. And We are joined by the coach, Harvey Hyde. who's going to talk all about this USC football team getting ready for football at the Coliseum. How are you doing, coach? What's up?
2: I'm doing great, buddy. i tell you, we're getting closer. This is my last couple of days off, if you call them days off, and uh, getting ready for the game Saturday at the Coliseum. You know, the first game of the year is really exciting when you go to the games and when you're a football player and a coach, but you really don't know what to expect, how good you are. You know, you've worked the whole off season and getting ready for the opener, especially when you have a new coach. Uh, bringing in Minnesota Jerry Gill, and you don't know exactly what he's doing to prepare for you, so you try to read and find out what you can find out from their releases, and maybe you exchange films from the spring or a fall scrimmage. It depends what the coach's agreement is, but uh, it's always exciting. The opening game is always exciting. Not that they aren't all exciting, but as a coach, you really want to see what's going to happen, and uh, I think it's really great. Uh, I know as a football fan, uh, you you expect the same. You want to go out and see just what's going to happen. And Saturday college football opens up and, well, it opens up on Thursday. I think there's five or six games on Thursday that you can watch, but on Saturday there's three or four great games that you can watch and you all sit down and just see, okay, what's happened? How do these players play? Who's made a big improvement? What about the new schemes? What about the offenses and defenses? Who's Who's a standout player? Who's improved the most? Or who are you a little disappointed in? And it's just exciting. The whole thing's just exciting, the opening game of the year.
1: It certainly is, Coach. And I know USC fans, especially with all the, I'm not going to say the word, but all the talk with the sanctions and everything, now they're ready for some football. And I think they're they're going to be ready. The Trojans look like they're getting ready. We're going to talk about the team and how they've been looking and the depth chart that was released uh, just yesterday. We're going to talk about that and the team captains. I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Go to sctickets.com if you need tickets. USC has three home games in a row, Coach. So if you need tickets for any of those games, Utah, Syracuse, Minnesota, give them a call, 1-800-888-7287, or go to sctickets.com. Hook you up. Three home games in a row, Coach. It should be fun, and uh, USC fans, should be a good time for them. I think they're ready for some football. Get out of the gate here. See some action at the Coliseum. If USC can get off to a, a hot start, She'll get a lot of momentum, and it would be a fun season to watch.
2: Well, I think you have to get off to a great start. You know, you've been working all year. Uh, you know, your, your bowl games really are each individual game you have. It's a chance to get out and perform and play and, and uh, get better every week, and, and you've got to look at it that way. How can we get every day a little bit better in everything we do as a unit, as a team, as an individual? And you got to look at it that way, and, and that's exactly the way. I think the Trojans can be real good this year, okay? We haven't got into that or talked about it, but they have the potential to be really good. So when we get into, you know, the the season and the teams and so on, we can talk about that. But it all starts with the first game, and performance, and keeping it simple, and execution, and, and get that killer attitude and make the Coliseum the lion's den where people are intimidated again to come into the coliseum, start to walk with that swagger that you have, you got to bring the swagger back, and then all of a sudden it feels real good about what you're doing.
1: Certainly does, coach. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was the captains. So it was that practice yesterday? And Lane Kiffin announced that the captains were named. That they are elected. Uh, the the players actually vote for who the captain should be. And there's two. Juniors, two seniors, two offensive players, two defensive players. you got Matt Barkley, who's the captain again. He's obviously a junior. And you got Red Ellison on offense. Senior listed now as a starting fullback, even though he's been a tight end. So we'll see. He'll be playing a bunch of different positions. And then uh, T.J. McDonald, the junior safety, who's definitely been a leader uh, for this Trojan team. And Christian Tupou, who's back from his injury. He's a senior on the defensive line. So uh, I think it's a good mix. Uh, of, you know, juniors, seniors, offensive, defensive players, and and some good leaders for the Trojans. They'll be captains this year in 2011.
2: Well, I think it's great. I tell you, the team uh, votes for this, and I think that's important, because the team knows who their leaders are. And uh, I think that it's a real honor to be listed as a captain, to have that leadership ability and talk to the team and inspire everyone and make sure everyone stays in line and gets ready to play and so on. So being a captain is a real honor, and uh, you have to understand it as that and understand the responsibilities of being a captain. I think that's really the number one thing, and I'm sure Coach Kiffin and their coaches talk to their captains about this. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in locker rooms or happen with the locker room lawyers and so on and other outside influences that captains have to be able to maintain the discipline of making sure that no one does anything that's stupid. And, uh, and these captains have to be able to, to control a player. And when a player elects a captain, then that player is saying, you are leader. You are our leader, yes, you do have status over me, yes, when you say something, I should listen, and so on. So uh, I think that you've got some guys that can be some enforcers, and it's very important that you have some enforcers and guys that expect that can lead you, and, and they respect what you say. So uh, as a captain, I think it's important, uh, and I'm, I'm glad to see them pick these four guys. Congratulations to them!
1: Yes, congratulations to all those four guys, and they'll they'll have a, a service team captain every week too. So we'll see who kind of jumps out and does that's an honor that that guys uh, some of the walk ons usually get. So it's fun for them. Uh, let's talk about the depth chart a little bit, Coach. It's uh, uh, Michael Lev from the Orange County Register, who's a, a friend of ours, and uh, he's a great. He's a great writer. Um, He said that USC just released – he tweeted something along these lines. I'm just paraphrasing that USC released their depth chart and had more oars than a regatta. Um, So this kind of referring to there's a lot of positions that they don't name a starter. They name this guy or this guy or this guy. And there's some spots where there's four guys listed as oars. And, you know, returners, there's a whole bunch of oars. Uh, tailback, there's four oars, left guard, there's four oars. Um, Did you ever release a a depth chart kind of like that where you didn't really have to make a decision, just kind of said, oh, it could be him or him or him or him?
2: Not really. uh, uh, Maybe one or two. I think that's an indication that you're either really good at that position or you're not very good at that position. Because uh, basically, you know, when you're that close in competition, then you've got... To make a decision and you're not quite sure who that individual is so i would think that it's because they've got good competition uh, i wouldn't look at it as a weakness at usc i would look at it as a strength at usc as far as these players have been to an offseason or fall camp and they played hard and trained hard and so on and right now it has gone down this week's practice of course there won't be much hitting this week but really to decide and who's healthy and who knows the game plan and so on on who's going to start and i think you get a good week of practice out of guys by doing this but i don't know if it helps you as far as the continuity of your substitution as far as getting polished because you got a lot of guys running in and out and who's going to be number one i i would like to by this time of the year be able to to have very few oars because you want to be able to get these teams and the units and you want the timing and everything to mesh and so on and substitution so that everything goes smoothly. So uh, there are a lot of oars, and I would like to look at that as the stre- a strength, not a weakness.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about some of those oars. I mean, there are some locks. Uh, we'll look at the offensive side first. I mean, obviously, Matt Barkley um, – is the starting quarterback. Interestingly enough, they list John Manoogian as an OR with Cody Kessler uh, and then Max Whitick. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He Manugian hasn't really been getting any reps in practice uh, with, you know, you know, with the first team or second team or anything like that. He's been running other drills. And he's running the scout team right now, but I think he knows the offense well enough that they're listing him as an OR. But I thought thought that was curious that he wasn't getting many reps. But Red Ellison is the standalone fullback. Um, and you have Kevin Graf as a standalone right tackle, Khalid Holmes as the center, Matt Khalil as the left guard, and Robert Woods as a split end. So I think all of that kind of makes sense. Um, some of the other positions are, are a little more interesting. Left guard is one that uh, Lane Kiffin's been talking about quite a bit. The, either guard position hasn't really uh, sorted itself out yet, but left guard especially. Uh, Abe Markowitz, I think, would be the starter there. Um, but he was he was in a boot the last week or so, so it's been interesting for him. But they list Jeremy Galton, Martin Coleman, Marcus Martin, the true freshman, and Abe Markowitz, all as potential or starters. And I don't know, Coach. Do you, I mean do you do you want to see the offensive line kind of shaken up? I mean the 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 depth chart shaken up because even at right guard, John Martinez and Andre Walker are both listed as co-starters on that side. I think I mean Martinez has probably got the edge there, but um, so far no definitive plans in place for either guard spot
2: well when i look at that and and listen to you explain it i think basically when you look at marcus martin they'd love the redshirt him okay they'd love the redshirt walker they'd like to love the redshirt as many of their younger players as they can and the reason you have oars there if markowitz can start and he's okay there's no or there's no or he's starting and holmes is the center and martinez is the right guard now if martinez gets uh, or if Holmes gets hurt, then Markowitz or Martinez go to center, and you and you move up someone. That's why you have a lot of oars at a lot of these positions. But if you, you know, look at a roster in the NFL or anywhere else, the guys are interchangeable. So that's why I would feel there's a lot of ores there now. If Markowitz can't play, then you have to make a determination on who's going to be the starter if he's injured. Then you've got to have another or on who's going to be the backup at the center position. So that would probably be Martinez over there. He'd probably go to center if Holmes got hurt. So a lot of these ors are indicating if someone goes down or if someone can't play. And also Martin Coleman would probably move up at the guard if, if Mark can't play. Uh, Marcus Martin probably maybe is a third. But would you want to play him? Would you want to burn a redshirt year on a kid being a backup when he has the potential of being a great player? Myself, I would try to get through this season hoping we don't have any injuries or SC's offensive line or anybody gets hurt seriously enough to miss a game where well, you can get through and not burn a redshirt year on any of these great players. Now, of course, if you have a position where you have to burn a redshirt year on a freshman, where you need to really have someone take a guy's spot, a, a senior or junior or something that is getting dominated and can't play, then you got to burn a redshirt year. But you got to win. Every year you have to win. It isn't like we're, we're waiting for next year. you got to win this year or there won't be a next year. So a lot of these oars are because of interchanging. If someone can play, if someone goes down, in those type of situations as far as I feel in the offensive line. Now, at quarterback, since you brought that up, I think I've been mentioning that on the podcast. I didn't mention it much this fall because I didn't think there was any reason to do that, but I was wondering why John Minugian wasn't getting any turns because probably right now he's the most experienced quarterback next to Matt Barkley on the football field. He's been there. He understands the playbook. He's very intelligent. He can execute. And then when you watch him throw the ball, no one has never said he can't throw the football. He can throw the football. And if Matt went down during the game, I'd feel more comfortable. This is me, Harvey Hyde, not anybody else, of a a guy that's been around four years going in and running or executing the offense with what he knows and how he can get the team lined up and the kids all know him and like him and get him out of the huddle to win a football game you don't want to burn a redshirt year on either of your freshman quarterbacks. If you can help it, you really don't. So it's not a surprise to me. He's at number two. In fact, I said it on one of my other shows that I did in Vegas, that I'm very surprised that he hasn't been getting more turns as far as in practice, because he's been running the scout team, giving them a good look, because I think legitimately he would be the best to be the backup quarterback if Matt goes down at this time. Now, We don't want that to happen or even think it's going to happen. But I would think right now he's the most ready to play if something happened to Matt Barkley.
1: I agree with you, Coach. And it's interesting what you said about the freshman offensive lineman. Walker really is like the number two guy. I don't know if he's going to have the luxury to be able to redshirt. But uh, what Lane Kiffin had said when you're talking about freshmen and veterans, he said if freshmen are even with any of the veterans right now, most likely they 're going to pass them because if they've you know the veteran's been here for a year or two or three or however long, and you have a freshman that 's already that good, they 're just going to get better and I thought that was an interesting way to, to look at things, and he does want to redshirt some guys if he can. I mean just because of the the sanctions coming up three the next three years, uh, recruiting classes are going to be limited, so any guys you can kind of stockpile is not a bad thing, but he knows like you said, if someone can help you win right now. You need them in there. You need to help them win. And, you know, just just being able to win on the field is going to help you with recruiting over the next few years as well.
2: No, I agree 100%. You know, you don't put a freshman in unless he's going to be a starter, eventually going to be a starter. Then he's going to start the whole season. So uh, if you feel that strongly that he can play, then the only way he's going to get his experience is play now. Play against Minnesota. Play against Utah. Play against Uh, Syracuse, because you've got to have him ready to play against Oregon and these other schools, Stanford and so on, Arizona State coming up. So if you're going to be your starter, give him turns and get him going. Otherwise, get the guys in there that are going to play and make him a unit.
1: And uh, let's see. Let's finish up the offense. Uh, One other interesting position. Well, there's two more. At flanker, they have Brandon Carswell, who's played really well this fall. Uh, as a co-starter with Marquise Lee, so I thought that was interesting having a true freshman like that jump up there. He's actually played, I mean, extremely well. I can't it's just the he makes great catches each and every week. He just seems to be playing without any regard for pressure or expectations or anything. He's just out there using his athletic ability and playing really well. And then at tailback, everybody's listed as a starter: Dylan Baxter, Curtis McNeil, T.J. Morgan, and Amir Carlisle, All of had good flashes and maybe no one's taken the reins and run away with us. Some guys have been banged up, but those are two more interesting positions where we'll see who ends up starting and more importantly, who ends up getting the most turns.
2: Well, you know, you got a lot of oars there and uh, you know, that makes good morale, but I don't know if it makes good sense. What I mean by that, and I'm not trying to criticize, I'm just giving you my point uh, opinion Timing is so important with the offensive line and running backs as far as being able to hit a hole or they know the timing of a back and what the moves are of a back and what he does and so on. And the back gets a lot of looks at exactly who to run behind and what's going on. And when you pass block, you, you get an idea of what's going on with the defense. You read the defenses better and so on. You get a feel of the game. Now, when you're going in and out every other play or every two plays or whatever, I think it it, it it gives you a sense of not being comfortable. I guess that's the best way of saying it as a, as a player. You don't really get into the rhythm of playing football. Now, uh, if they're all equal, then pick one. Say, you're our guy. You're starting this week. Get it done. If you go down or fumble or drop passes and don't block, you're supposed to be well-rounded. You're coming out. Uh, But you give a guy, uh, as a coach, you select who your starter is, and you let him go. And he knows that he's the man, and you'll be the man. You pack the rock and get it done. The other three are waiting, like a relay team. They're waiting for the baton if it happens. Uh, But that's my philosophy. Not everybody has the same philosophy. But I think you've got to have a unit, and everyone understands who the number one unit is.
1: Uh, well, let's look at the defense, Coach. And the defensive line is pretty solid. I talked to Ed Orgeron. We have a story coming up pretty soon. Uh, he likes his top eight guys. Um, Wes Horton, De- Devon Kennard, and Nick Perry. I mean, you got three basically defensive end starters there. The, the one guy that could come in if he's announced that he can play, and-, and Lane Kiffin said it's possible we hear this week, Armand Armstead would make that rotation even stronger. You know, So I think that's a, a pretty solid Front four, it's very talented, and I think everything's going to be okay there. The linebacker spots, there's a few more oars out there. Um, at, at the strong side, there's Deion Bailey and Marky Simmons battling it out. Uh, and, and middle linebacker Chris Gallippo, who's been hurt a little bit, but said he's 100% now. And Lamar Dawson, the true freshman, they've been battling getting turns. And at weak side linebacker, Hayes Pullard and uh, Shane Horton are battling out. So I think even you know at the linebacker spot, you got some really good battles and, and Better depth than we've seen in quite a while. Either one of those guys that were listed, I think, could be effective as starting linebackers for USC.
2: I think they can be, and I think they will rotate and they will play. On defense is a little bit different than offense. Offense is timing and units, and and so on defense is hey, you just let it go, man. You just let it go. I mean, you just line up in the line of scrimmage, get your butt up in the air if you're a defensive lineman or a tackle, depending what you do, and you just let it go like you're fired out of a cannon. If you're a linebacker, you do exactly what your your responsibilities are and play the gaps or drop to your pass zones or play man or whatever you have to do. And I think defensively they are a much better football team. Linebacker-wise, they certainly have more depth, and I think to have the people in their positions that they should be playing. A year ago with Kennard at the middle linebacker, I never felt comfortable about that, and I told that to you and, and, and our listeners all along. I thought he should have been defensive end because that's where – he played in high school. That's what he's familiar with. And normally in high school, you put your best, best defensive player where? In the middle, like Perfect was, a Corona. So, you know, and, and he didn't play that. But he back where he, he's back where he should be. I think Dawson has really come on, and he's better than what people expected him to be. I think he's really performed at a great level for a young player. And Chris, of course, if Chris can stay healthy, I think he'd be a great guy to have in the middle. So uh, Chris has been very unfortunate as far as the number of injuries that he's had. I think that Horton will hit you. He he can run. He was a defensive back at one time. He'll play the spread well. And I think uh, Bailey is the most surprising of all of them. He has really come along. He's a sure tackler, and I think he's going to do a lot for the defense.
1: All right. And then the uh, secondary, Coach. More depth here as well. I think you have a, a strong front four that's really they're using eight uh, middle three guys at linebacker. I think they got at least six guys that you feel comfortable with playing in there. And the same or thing in
2: the secondary.
1: Oh, no, but then or in the in sec- the linebacker. Yeah. And okay. then in, in the secondary, you have two true starters. Nickel Roby's listed as the, the lone starter at one cornerback spot and TJ McDonald at the free safety position. Obviously those guys have, have proved themselves over the last year, McDonald over the last couple of years. And then at the other safety spot, Juwanza Starling and Demetrius Ryder both listed as co-stars. I think both have played uh, really well. And even Marshall Jones has played well there. He has been hurt a little bit. And then cornerback, Tony Burnett and uh, Torrin Harris. I think Tony Burnett was probably penciled in as a starter. And Torrin Harris has played so well that he's come in. He had a couple picks. He's batted down some balls, really good coverage. I think he's inserted himself in there. And even guys like Drew McAllister you haven't mentioned. And Anthony Brown, who was a kid I loved, just so much fire and so much energy, Isaiah Wiley also has been playing well. Uh, the the JC guy coming in, a lot of depth there in the in the secondary as well. And just it seems like this defense, a couple guys could get hurt, and there's just body, more bodies to step in. I I think that Ed Orgeron and Monty Kiffin have a lot more choices now, and especially in the secondary, this is a deeper secondary group than I don't think I don't think Pete Carroll's ever had a, a group of secondary players that were this deep.
2: No, I agree with you 100%. The ors in the secondary is because they can't determine who's the best one. They're all good. I said this last week, and I think I've said it many times. I think it's the best group of defensive backs in the country when you look at all of them together. Same with receivers. I'm going to tell you that right now. Maybe the front front seven. As far as front four, for sure. I challenge others. There might be some great players, but I'll tell you, there's a great front front four here, yeah, as good as anyone. And uh, the secondary is unbelievable. So when you see the oars there, it's legit. It's who is the best. On any given day, any given situation, these guys can perform up to, you know, uh, great levels. And uh, they're great athletes. And uh, like you mentioned, Drew McAllister, you know how much I've liked him the entire time. I talked about him last week. He has instinct. He can go to the football. He knows how to find the football. He takes the right angle. He's a ball hawk. And there's some players that are ball hawks, and that's something you can't teach. And there's some that just want to knock you out, knock your lights out, which I think is great, too. So you've got to be able to be a combination in the secondary. They've got great athletes. I think the secondary should be really strong. I think they're going to play a lot of man back there because I'd match my guys up with anybody and go after them. And I think it's going to be an exciting year defensively. I really think it's going to be an exciting year. I'm waiting to see the first game, because I just want to see the schemes and how they're going to play Minnesota, because you don't know what to expect. I know Minnesota's offense is a combination of the pistol, the spread, and the power game. And they moved Gray, the big quarterback, uh, back to or the big uh, receiver, back to quarterback. He was a great uh, quarterback in uh, uh, high school, and he's going to have to become familiar with Jerry Gill's new offense. So, uh, I just want to see how they're going to play that. And myself, uh, I feel that they're going to kick their butt. Okay. <laughs> and uh, at least uh, I'll tell you, I know I would, What I'd be telling them, I know. I'll tell you that right now. I'd say, hey guys, this is a great opener. They're coming. This is their Rose Bowl game. They haven't been to the West Coast since 1960. This is their first trip to the West Coast, and uh, they've never seen the Pacific Ocean. And we sort of have our backs against the Pacific Ocean, and they're not going to get there. And uh, I don't know. I just would say you. I would send a message out. It's a national televised game. I'd send a message out, you don't want to come and play us at home. And I think they've got to get that message out to everyone.
1: Yeah, just get some excitement going. Because even though, you know, USC started off with a couple wins last year, they were close and it wasn't all that exciting. With three home games in a row, this is a real opportunity to get in there, kick some butt, and make some headlines, get the fans excited, and I think you create momentum for the rest of the season.
2: I agree with you. You know, it's not just winning. Winning's very important, but knocking somebody out is even more important. Or whether you say telling them they don't want to come back here or they want to drop the game from their schedule. This is a message that I think that's very important. And I'm not talking about playing dirty football. I'm talking about there's 12 hours that you have 12 hours of playing football time during the regular season that you work all year around for. You can't waste a second or a hit or anything. And This is the way you, you take the, the, the attitude of these players. You go out there and and you compete because you want to remember this the rest of your life. You never forget a game, and you want to remember them all of them, with your friends when you get together at all of their football parties and everything that you get together with.
1: Well, let's finish up, Coach, with uh, special teams. They're pretty clear on who's going to be playing. Kyle Negretti won the punting position. I think that'll open up Chris Alvarado to redshirt the the true freshman. That'll be fine for him. Um, Andre Hadari, there's two freshmen battling out for place kicker, and Hadari's the scholarship guy. He won that job. Chris Poussin, who's the senior, they're going to let him be the snapper, and Peter McBride most likely can redshirt the true freshman. At Holder, they're, they're doing I – mean, it's kind of controversial having Matt Barkley and Cal Negretti, the punter, are kind of alternating. But, you know, Barkley gives them a the passing option back there when they want to do that swinging gate stuff. And then uh, a lot of different returners, Woods, Roby, McNeil, Marquise Lee, Anthony Brown, Brandon Carswell uh, for kick returns and punt returners. Roby and Woods back there, McNeil and Carswell, some similar, some similar names. But it should be, you know, interesting. I think special teams are going to be – better this year and, and you know and one more year under john baxter just the way he gets these guys prepared i think they were pretty good last year and they could be even better this year
2: well i agree i think they're better already from last year because they've got a punter and they've got a couple of punters and they've got a guy that can kick a field goal and and i think that really brings a lot of confidence to your team kyle negretti i tell you i think it was a smart move to start him because you can retro your freshman punter and you don't burn a year you got to think about this. You got to keep your players around with the skirt certain with the situation the way it is now. I don't agree with Matt Barkley holding uh, on PATs. Uh, I just think that if someone wants to take him out, they can take him out. And I'm not talking about illegally. I'm just saying you're down there holding the ball. If the ball rolls around, it's free. Somebody smacks you. So uh, I think Kyle could do that. The swinging gate's very important. I ran the same thing when I was coaching. Okay, but. Uh, I never had my number one quarterback doing that. I had my number two quarterback doing that because it, it's just a chance. I didn't want him out there. As far as kickoff returns, I think Woods is a great athlete. I don't agree with him returning kickoffs. I know he led the pack 10 or did something with some third 28-yard average or whatever it was. But, you know, every time I hear Matt Bartley talk, it's, it's a different beat out there when he's on the field when he's playing offense and Matt really feels comfortable with him. I, I wouldn't take a chance of somebody running forty yards down the field and hitting him full speed and knocking him out of the game. Now I know he's a great kickoff return guy, but they got some great athletes, man. They got other guys that can return kickoffs, even defensive backs that have speed and so on that have done it in high school. Harris has done it in high school. A lot of these guys have done it in high school. I know Woods is a great one. But you know, I think you gotta be smart too, because somebody could headhunter Hurt him, and then look what you've done to the offense. You hope to hell they don't kick off much,
1: first right. of all. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good point, Coach. Uh, well, we have one other, uh, one question before we let you go. Uh, we went a little long this segment, but Mark wants to know people were talking to Lane Kiffen about Amir Carlisle and who the true freshman running back reminded him of, and he's giving a suggestion put number 12 on him. I know, I know, way too much expected, but size-wise, it's a match, not a bad level to aspire to. What do you think about Mark's statement?
2: Well, I don't think you ever determine a player by size uh, as far as at certain positions. In some positions, yes, you have to because you're overpowered and you're just not big enough to play it. But I think that as a skilled player, I think there's a lot of great players that have demonstrated you can be a great player. You don't have to be big. You have to have big, a big heart. Got to be able to use every bit of your ability, and, and uh, I tell you, a, a player can really uh, dominate when you're when you're quick and and, and elusive and, and run well and stopping a dime and cut and so on. And Carlisle's a, uh, he's going to be a good player. To compare him with somebody right now that that has played at SC or somewhere else, it's hard to do. Was he, was, was he hadn't done anything yet? I mean, to compare anybody with anybody yet. That are young freshmen. It's hard to compare them with, because so they've been practicing, but they haven't been in a in a war yet, and they've been in training. So, uh, yeah, I think he's got great potential. I really do. I'm glad he's at USC and he's not somewhere else because he's a good enough player to beat you. I just want you to know that. I think it was a great recruit, a great find. Uh, he'd have to be for me, and I'm going to be honest with you. He'd have to be better than the others, or so I'd redshirt him. Uh, I'm just telling you, you got to keep these great players around. You can't burn them on ores or nor. you got to have great players in your program. They get another year of education and so on. Kids have got to understand. They can graduate and go on to their graduate work. And This kid uh, could do that. But I'm not saying he, he's going to do that. I'm not saying he's not good enough to play. I'm saying he is good enough to play. But you got to decide who's going to
1: play. Yeah, and I don't you know. Charles White, obviously a great back. We'll see. Let's let's, let's watch Charles him.
2: White, I mean, you know, <laughs> how can you compare him with anybody, right? You, you can't.
1: Sure. Pretty hard. All right. Well, Coach, hey, great stuff. We really appreciate it in our NCAA free version of the podcast this week. We are so ready for football, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you next week. We can actually talk about what happened on the field. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.
2: And, again, let's thank Southern California Ticket Service, because if you want a ticket on the fifty you call southern california ticket service
1: actually i have a, a friend called me the other day i need six tickets so i'm about to call southern california tickets myself right now so once we get off the phone coach i'll give him a call and uh thanks again tell him and, hi for me tell him hi i will tell Say, hi. coach Hyde said coach Hyde said hi uh, everyone else we'll be back in 30 seconds talking with gerard martinez got a lot of recruiting questions to get to stay tuned for that
0: meet us on the other side of the break for more of the peristyle podcast Now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez on the line talking some USC recruiting in our NCAA free version of the podcast. Gerard, what's going on? How you doing, man?
3: Doing well, man. It's just uh, the podcast every week is like Voltron. We all join together to become this bigger thing than us.
1: It is a big thing. It's cool. I mean, we get a lot of people uh, asking about the podcast every week, and they, they love the Ustream show, too. We took a week off last week. But we'll be back again this week. We're not sure if it's going to be Wednesday or Thursday. We'll do another Ustream show after one of the USC practices, so that should be fun. And uh, But we want to talk about recruiting, Gerard, and it's kind of a unique situation. USC has three home games to kick off the season. Uh, it seems like it'd be a good opportunity to have recruits kind of come to the Coliseum. They're definitely all winnable games. How do you think USC is going to use these three home games as a recruiting tool?
3: I think it's probably going to be most significant for unofficial visits. You've got three home games, and then you pointed out there are three games that USC can win. So you're not only being able to set the tone for the season in terms of your play on the field, but you're able to set the tone with the recruiting process with local recruits. Everybody gets swept up with all these guys coming in from out of state and, you know, what's this kid from Florida, what's this kid from New Jersey? You know, is USC going to be able to have a shot at them? Are they going to bring them in on an official visit? You know, those official visits are obviously important, but to be able to have three weeks where you can get in with these kids locally, uh, two guys that USC's really hard after that they'd love to bring in three weeks in a row would be Ellis McCarthy, 6'5", 310", five-pound defensive tackle from Monrovia, California, a guy that they're recruiting really hard that's looking at Cal and USC as his top two with a top six of UCLA. He's got Florida in there. He's got Washington. He's got Oregon in there. Then you've got Kevon Seymour, who's a four-star cornerback from Pasadena, who they brought in and they got to at least bring in during fall camp practice. Uh, but they didn't really get to bring him in much during the spring. And it's a guy that a lot of people kind of thought, man, maybe he's going to commit to USC during the summer. He didn't pull the trigger. That's a kid that maybe you can kind of push over the shelf a little bit. Maybe you can get that commitment early in the season with a couple of good visits to campus, get him on campus for the unofficial visit, get him to the game, get him in the locker room, get him to see the pregame prep. I mean, really that's, probably the biggest factor for USC in gaining commitments is just the coaching staff and and how charismatic they are, the way they prep the team before the games, and just the intensity of the Coliseum. And to have three weeks like that, you know, three weeks in a row – that's very significant just because it's been so rare. I mean, usually USC's got one of these big-time games at home, but then they're usually off on the road playing some out-of-conference games. You know, this is three weeks in a row where they're able to kind of set that tone and establish a, a little bit more rapport with some of these kids, having an excuse to bring them in on campus.
1: Uh, all right, well, we'll see what happens. Three weeks in a row, I mean, the coaching staff around here hadn't really had that kind of opportunity before, so we'll see what Kind of prospects come in there and how it works out. We do have a voicemail question for you, Gerard. So let me play that one. Here you go.
2: Uh, JD from DC got a question for Gerard. Gerard, uh, kind of curious where you think uh, Kevin Seymour is at at this point. It seems to me he's only seriously looking at the two LA schools now, and I don't see UCLA having a better year than USC next year. What do you think's holding up his uh, commitment? Uh, he's more a cornerback, isn't he? So whether McDonald goes pro or, or, or not won't impact on that, right? And uh, same thing for Bowman. Uh, uh, I was just curious what your thoughts are, what's causing him to
3: not pull the trigger at this point. Incidentally, we just had a update on Kevon Seymour. It's Kevon, not Kevin Keon see more on the uh, site this morning, so we can, you know, go ahead and point to that because that probably answers a lot of the questions uh, that were asked in that question. I think, to sum it up, uh, the one thing he wants to do is he wants to take visits and he wants to be sure of what school he wants to go to. Uh, the most recent thing that's kind of sort of popped up is his twin brother, Keon is also being recruited for baseball and doesn't have any scholarship offers right now, but UCLA has come in and started talking like they may offer Keon for baseball if they can get a commitment from Kevon in football. So that's kind of changed the landscape a little bit. I think he's starting to look at that and see, and maybe he can get a package deal uh, to go to college with his brother, and obviously that would be pretty, pretty significant for the family if they could get a two-for-one there. Um, you know, whether... His brother is good enough to get offers from other colleges. Uh, At at this point, only Utah and UCLA have even talked about offering. um, And uh, it's kind of a wait and see process with USC. It's been brought up. The subject has been broached, but there's been no real feedback, at least from USC on Kevon's part, as to whether they're going to recruit his brother for baseball. So I think that's a factor. Um, I I think he just wants to wait and he just doesn't want to be that guy that commits and then takes his visits and then decides he's not sure. It's, Not really between USC and UCLA right now. That's a factor that's playing for UCLA, excuse me, but it's really the only factor that's playing with UCLA, his twin brother playing baseball. Uh, He didn't really have a lot of other things to say about UCLA. I think Washington really is kind of the school there that uh, might play the biggest factor as far as being the number two with usc um he has a really good relationship with demetrius martin usc fans are probably familiar with demetrius martin he was a grad assistant defensive back coach at usc for a while under Pete carroll and uh, is a guy that's being recruited in the la area really hard he's a really good recruiter and he happened to go to muir high school so you know being an alum at muir high school he's got a lot of insight he knows the guys uh, that are around Kevon's uh, recruitment and in, in the family and, and kind of those champions, those people that are going to uh, influence his decision in the recruiting process. And so that's kind of significant. Uh, he likes Cal, Talked a lot about Cal. has got some family in the Bay Area. Um, you know, Cal is interesting because they're talking about him playing uh, maybe receiver and giving him a choice. You want to play receiver you want to play defensive back. Uh, quarterback is definitely his best position. It's one of those deals where he's a good receiver. But he could be a great cornerback because of his size. And, you know, you got a lot of guys out there as receivers that are six foot, 170 pounds. Uh, you tend to think that that kind of size, that height, that cornerback makes him a little more special, a little more unique on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, right now he is USC's number one target by far, the only guy – At the quarterback position in California to have a scholarship offer from USC, Uh, quite frankly, he seems to be the only guy really in the country that they're really focused in on. And again, going back to the first three games of the season for USC being at home, you know, compared to UCLA, UCLA, they've got to go to Houston in the beginning of the season. That's a game they could lose. They've got another big game at home against Texas. That's a game they could lose. So, you know, the early part of the season for UCLA may be a lot different than the early part of the season for USC. And, again, locally, that could separate the two schools a lot.
1: All right. Uh, John White has a question about Shaq Powell from uh, Bishop Gorman High School in Arizona. He said he looked great at camp at USC this year and also recently versus Chaparral, a high-quality competitor in Arizona on television. Fast, strong, great vision. Why isn't USC recruiting him hard?
3: Well, I mean I'd have to take your word for it, it that he looked good in camp just because we weren't allowed to be at the Rising Stars camp so we couldn't really evaluate guys. I know he did well at the Nike camp um, but it was a group of it was pretty poor group of running backs in terms of uh, uh, guys that you're looking at to be kind of single, feature-back types that really that's where USC is at this point. They're looking for a guy that's really got to stand out. Um, they don't have a lot of scholarships to give. Uh, obviously with uh, Jill Pinner, uh, the 6'1", 235-pound, kind of sort of fullback, running-back hybrid from Mission Viejo committed, and then they also got Kelvin York, who's a 5'11", 225-pound running-back committed from Fullerton uh, College. They've got two running-backs in this class. Both guys are power-backs. Uh, Pinner, like I said, is, is probably a little more of a fullback. We're going to see him play more tailback this year than we have in the past. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, if he can really play that position and be a guy that uh, can make an impact and a contribution with the ball in his hands. Um, so, you know, Powell's kind of sort of – a little like those two um, you know obviously not as mature as York being a guy that's coming out of, uh, of junior college and, and probably not as explosive either I think the main issue with Powell is that he's just not fast he's a good sized guy runs really well at the high school level but a lot of people kind of label him as just being a really good high school back. And you know what? Those guys have come back to haunt USC, and there's been, you know, some guys that have come through that you know, a lot of people talk about they're just not that fast and they're just not this and they're just not that, but they end up being, you know, very capable backs at the Division one level. But at this point for USC, uh, they're looking at guys like Kevin Marshall who probably won't go to USC at this point. He's not talking about USC um, you know, in his in his top six and uh, really his official visit list, he will be at the Notre Dame USC game uh, later in the year. He's a five eleven, hundred ninety pound uh, running back from North Carolina who ran a ten four one over the summer in the Junior Olympic Trials, and so he's a guy that's a legitimate sprinter really fast, really smart. he got a 4.2 GPA, a kid that USC would love to get their hands on. But at this point, it just seems like distance is going to be too much of a factor. They also offered Byron Marshall, who's a guy who's got a 10.67 in the 100 meters uh, from San Jose, goes to Valley Christian High School. He's a guy that's very close with Amir Carlisle, uh, who USC just signed. And that's kind of another piece of the puzzle. Amir Carlisle looks like he's going to be a contributor to USC. He's going to be a good player. You know, how does that affect the offer to Byron Marshall, seeing that Byron Marshall and Amir Carlisle, are close, I mean, they really want to go to the same school and compete against each other. You know, they t- tend to think that's not going to happen. So, you know, USC's out there. They've given some, some offers to some guys. You know, it kind of seems like they're in the market, but you've got to think if they're going to be in the market, they've got to be after a guy that they really feel like is going to be a feature back. At this point, you know, I, I think Shaq Powell really right now, probably they don't think of the feature back. So that would be the main reason.
1: Okay, let's see. We have Ian has a question. He says, my question is for Gerard Martinez. I was looking at Noah Spence's profile. He had mentioned they he wanted to visit USC, also seemed to mention the tradition, academics, uh, for the high points of a lot of schools. His questions are, do you think he will officially visit USC? And with USC's tradition and academics, does USC have a shot to sign him? Thanks. I love the show and the site. I've been reading all the posts on my foreign exchange to France. Okay, Ian, well, that's neat Neat for him being in France there. Uh, What do you think about Noah Spence?
3: Sucre le (laughs) bleu. I think that uh, they're going to probably get a visit from Noah Spence, and he's talked about it. He says USC is one of the schools that he definitely wants to officially visit. Um, You know, his factors and interests do seem to line up well with USC as a university. Whether we have a real shot at him or not, I'd say it's a long shot right now. Um, I'm hearing that he's probably going to stay closer to home. Uh, Obviously, the official visit is that significant that – you know, you really can't get a real read on a kid until he takes that visit and you start to hear the rumblings that come from the visit and, you know, kind of the conversations that happen uh, between he and other recruits, and you start to get some type of information. That's the avenue of getting information of Noah Spence at this point because he's not a guy that does interviews. So it's, you can't really talk to him and get a vibe for him. We've never spoken to him, never been able to get him on the phone uh, to do an interview. Uh, I think you even tried to call him a couple times, Ryan. Uh, just doesn't happen yeah, so it's, it's, so it's hard for us to, to really get any kind of vibe or any kind of read on him personality-wise, so it's going to take that visit before other people you know, that we can talk to kind of get a vibe on what his personality is and whether he's really a guy that can go cross-country to go to school. Um, I think that official visit, if it happens, is probably going to be during the season. He might be one of those guys that USC brings in and and there's only a couple kids that they bring in for an official visit, you know, maybe during the Washington weekend uh, or or, kind of one of those off weekends where they could just bring in a couple guys and focus on those guys. I think it's probably going to be a lighter year for official visits throughout the year. Um, It's kind of hard to get a vibe on. I I think they'll probably bring in some guys that are already committed to other schools. Uh, I know that there's some guys that are already talking about coming in officially during the season that are committed to other schools. Um, But, you know, this is a short year for USC. They don't have the full ride of scholarships. They certainly don't have the 30-plus that they were trying to get last year. Um, It's going to be below 20. We know that. So, you know, we kind of have to see how it goes as far as uh, the amount of official visits they bring in during the season and um, kind of how things shape up towards the end of the year after the season because that's when USC really has to make sure that they are, you know, they're exact (laughs) in their numbers. There's no, There's not much give as far as, you know, how many guys they can take, you know, over or under.
1: All right. that's um, all other questions we had, Gerard. There were a few others. I just want to do a little housekeeping here. Uh, Dave, Mark, Marcel uh, all sent in questions about the NCAA, but I just kind of made the executive decision. We are going NCAA free this week. Even though Mark Emmer just gave a, an interview to the LA Times, a few questions and a more baffling statements, it's just tough. I know we have a lot of questions, and I do apologize for the people that are sick or hearing about it, but we get so many questions every week, it's hard to ignore it. We just wanted to do an NCAA free one. I don't think you disagree with that, Gerard, do
3: you? No, no. I mean, I'm tired of trying to explain uh, the NCAA's rules and regulations and how it affects USC with recruiting. But, unfortunately, it, uh, it goes one and the same now. And, you know, Trojan fans just have to realize that's part of their sanctions. Uh, you've been sanctioned as a fan base. You know, it's not just the school, but you as a fan base have been sanctioned, and your sanctions is that you have to listen to sanctions.
1: Well, it keeps getting worse. And, you know, Dan's been a, a big champion of this. And uh, Jay Mack wrote in LVUSC. He said, I just, a note. Thanks for hiring Dan Weber. I really like his style of writing. He tells it like it is. Back when I lived in Riverside, I used to read him in the press enterprise. You can tell he has the chops of a professional beat writer, which I believe is one reason why he's so disgusted with the NC2A. He's been around the block enough to see right through them. He knows how organizations like that work. In any case, his War Room article last Friday was right on the money. I think it's struck a chord with a lot of parastylers. and it was funny though. It was a really big war room last two weeks, George. We've had like four thousand word war rooms, and maybe about half of it was about the NCAA. But there was a lot of good recruiting stuff and and team stuff in there as well. But we still got you know, there's a lot of people that loved it, and there's still some people that are complaining because well, there's too much NCAA talk. There's, I mean, it, but it's like you said, it's there. It's hard to ignore and. It seems like something new happens each week if it's Lane Kiffin being cleared or uh, Mark Emmerich giving another speech or Paul D putting his foot in his mouth. I mean, there's just new stuff happening each and every
0: week.
3: Let me make a a very bold prediction here. It's not going away. Uh, The stuff with the NCAA is not at an end. Um, There's going to continue to be a lot of Subplots and things to unfold with this, and it's not just going to involve with other schools, but it's going to involve USC directly. I mean, people know that uh, you know the Todd McNair lawsuit is on the horizon. Um, that is going to reveal a lot of things. That's going to lead to a lot of hand wringing with USC fans as well. So, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know, we're covering it. We're involved in in covering it and, and trying to be on top of it. I think a lot of other websites aren't, and maybe that's something else that. You know, a lot of other websites just don't have the ability to get out there and cover it and be on top of it the way we've been, and it's like night and day. So when they come, when they come to the Thursday, they're like, "Wow, there's it's just like, can we stop talking about you guys are all about the NCA? It's not that we're all about the NCA. It's just that you know we do have that avenue, we do have some sources, and we and it is significant. I mean, it's a big deal. There was a lot of things that the NCA did uh, with USC which were unprecedented, and um, and like kind of pointed out with Dan. Dan's been around, and Dan has seen it, and I think if any of the other beat writers in Los Angeles were a part of the site and were a part of some of the coverage and and some of the investigative uh, aspects of the the case that we've been involved with, they would probably have the same reaction. And, And it's just, I think, with the mainstream media, there's not a lot of people that really are educated about, what really happened with USC, what the case was really about, and really know the details. Because if you start to know the details and you start to really get into it, it is that much more shocking. So obviously the result of that, us being journalists, is to write about it.
1: Right, and hopefully that doesn't count as us talking about it, does it? Crap. (laughs) Yes, it does. Man, we tried to go NCAA free, but we really, yeah, it's hard to do. But it does, you know, when we talk about recruiting, it's going to be affecting USC recruiting over the next several years. And even after the sanctions are cleared, it's going to be a challenge. you know, you got three years, class of 2012, 13, 14. That class of 2015 is important because you are got to try to get the scholarship numbers back up into the 85 range. So it's going to be a big class, and uh, it, it's going to be a challenge for the next several years. And you know, the, the good thing is Lane Kiffin does have a plan in place for it. And now that there's no not going to be a show-cause penalty against him, he'll be able to recruit freely over the next several years, and then it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, he'll he'll try to stick to his plan of – how he's going to get the, the Trojan program through all this.
3: Well, that's the thing. is Lane Kiffin, I mean, and I've said it before, but there's really not a better coach in terms of strategy, calculation. He's a really, really smart guy that sees a lot of the angles, and it comes back from him being a recruiting coordinator with USC. And, you know, you talk to a lot of the coaches that uh, coach with him on those teams that he's not coaching with anymore. They really rave about him. They really rave about his ability to to see those angles, to to see a couple steps ahead, and that's really what USC needs. They need that. They need a guy that can play chess, but they also need a guy that's a grinder and that's ready to work and ready to uh, push through all this stuff, and he's pretty much done that. You know, he's had a lot of hurdles thrown his way, and he's overcome all of them.
1: And then one last thing I just wanted to mention. Um, We talked to Robbie Boyer and uh, Will Andrew, the two walk-ons that received uh, scholarships. And we talked about this in the war room a little, but just to keep—I know a lot of people asking about it—just to give an update, uh, it does seem like those are kind of conditional scholarships. You know, just for—they're always just for a year anyway. Um, and it's kind of could be, most likely will be an option for Lane Kiffin. Uh, Robbie Boyer probably won't be back, or he's, he's the chance he won't come back. You know, he'll be graduated already, so he would have one more year of eligibility. But he might just forego that and then move on with his life. And we'll see what happens with Will Andrew. But there's—I think it's just one of those other things where a knew he could give out a couple of scholarships and help the morale of the team and help these guys out, obviously, because they've been working really hard in practice. But knowing that, because of the sanctions, they might not be able to keep it. So, I mean, if 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 Will Andrews say come, you know, he wants to come back and he doesn't, he's only a sophomore, so he'll be back. Um, doesn't get the to keep the scholarship for next year for some reason because they, you know, they whatever um, recruiting wise they're trying to get those numbers down and keep it under 75. I mean, that's a direct directly from the nc2a like he would have had a scholarship otherwise but because of that because lane kiffin has this big plan and needs he's going to need these rides open it could prevent someone like a will andrew from having a scholarship for the next couple of years
3: yeah exactly i mean it's it's thirty thousand dollars basically in their pocket uh for at least a semester uh you know not having to pay for it as a, uh, a lock-on player so i mean i don't think they're going to turn that down so it's still definitely a positive and um, like you said, it's it's something that uh, in, coming up in the future is going to be harder to do, and, and really it's those 2014, 2015 type classes, that's really where all of this kind of starts to pile up, and uh, we'll see, you know, what kind of teams USC has at that point.
1: All right. Well, Gerard, we appreciate you coming on and uh, talking some recruiting with us. It's always good, and there should be a lot of interesting stuff over the next few weeks when high school football is getting started, and we got home games from USC. We'll see a bunch of local recruits out there. So it should be a lot of fun, a lot of Fast and Furious information. Keep checking you out on the Peristyle and all the articles, see what's going on. We appreciate all your insight.
3: No problem. Thank you for having me as usual.
1: All right. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning into the Peristyle podcast, a pretty much NCAA-free version of the Peristyle podcast. Thanks to Harvey Hyde and Gerard Martinez. And uh, we'll be back again next week talking more USC football.